So let's say you're into yoga or Pilates, or maybe you dabble in gymnastics like me. Either way, you know being flexible is key to doing what you love. That's why Smoothie King created this stretch and flex smoothie for people like us with whole fruits and organic veggies, plus type 2 collagen. Make it part of your daily fitness routine to support flexibility and joint health. So try the stretch and flex smoothie in tart cherry or pineapple kale. Order online today for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. Introducing the s Podcast channel, your one-stop source for all types of podcasts. We are always on the look for new podcasts to join our channel. If there is any topic you would like to discuss, contact us now. We can be reached on all social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram. You can also contact us by email or leave us a voicemail at 516-570-9248. So make sure to contact us now so you can start your podcast soon. And now, a beauty production presents... The most awesome podcast to ever embrace a pair of headphones, Sarasso and the Beard. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Sarasso and Jose the Talking Beard Rivera. And welcome to Sarasso and the Beard, podcast episode number 54. I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And I'm Nick Sarasso. And Nick, it is good to be back. It's been a while. A lot of stuff has been happening in the sports world. A lot to talk about in terms of future episodes as we get this thing rolling again. But first of all... How are you, Nick? I'm good. Uh, you know, we got a lot on the sports world. Uh, it's been a busy NBA free agency that we saw. Trade deadline's almost here for the MLB, and football is almost finally returning. So it's, it is an exciting part of the summer. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, like you said, this is a really exciting part of the summer, having the trade deadline so near. And, you know, speaking of the MLB trade deadline, no trades have happened yet. So, and, and we're, we're approaching the 31st rather quickly here we're in the final two weeks of july so i expect a lot of movement there's still a lot of contending teams that i feel like need pieces if they want to make their playoff push the nl wild card is insane there's about what six teams separated by two games in total so i expect teams to be active so it'll be interesting to see but right now in this podcast we're going to talk about nba free agency like you said a lot of turning wheels here a lot of moving pieces for free agency you know, we had a little bit of a distance between our last podcast episode, but so much happened in free agency that we couldn't really let it go by without talking about it. So let's dive right in here, Nick. And the first thing we're going to talk about in free agency is Kawhi Leonard, arguably the biggest fish on the market, fresh off bringing the Raptors a first-ever championship, a first NBA Finals title to the city of Toronto as he takes down the Warriors dynasty. Yes, there were some injuries, so... There's a little bit of a, well, maybe if they were healthy, but the bottom line is is that Kawhi Leonard went up against the Warriors almost single-handedly and took him down for his second super team that he has slayed. If you remember, when he was with the Spurs, he took down LeBron James and the Miami Heat. So first of all, congratulations to the Raptors after they won their finals uh, title. Been a while since we you know, had that episode after that, so congrats to Toronto. But let's talk about Kawhi Leonard here. Nick, Kawhi Leonard finally makes a decision. By going to the Clippers after a lot of back and forth about how the Lakers were interested, how it was basically between the Lakers and the Raptors, all of a sudden the Clippers, who looked like they were out of it, reemerged here in the Kawhi Leonard sweepstakes. And when it's all said and done, Kawhi Leonard chooses the Clippers. So just talking about Leonard here, Nick, were you surprised that Kawhi ended up choosing the Clippers over the Lakers and returning to Toronto? You know, no. We I, we looked at it and say, okay, the Lakers are now the prime favorite to sign Kawhi Leonard. That was never the case. That 
happened only, what, three days before NBA free agency occurred? The entire year, everyone expected the Clippers. Vegas had the Clippers the favorite. Vegas still had the Clippers favorited after they got knocked out in the first round to the Warriors. The Clippers were always seen as the destination for Kawhi Leonard. And, you know, you look at it and say, throughout the entire free agent period, because Kawhi Leonard took a little bit longer than most free agent uh, players. He took his time. He didn't really need to rush it. He wasn't meeting with that many teams. You almost got a sense of the direction where he was going to go. It was just a matter of time. It was just a matter of, you know, maybe they'll add one more player. Maybe they're going to add Danny Green first, and that's going to be the ultimate decision-making for Kawhi Leonard. But in all telling signs, the Clippers were always viewed as the favorite, especially when they took the Warriors a couple extra games in the playoffs. It just seemed even more convincing that the Clippers were going to become the unanimous choice for Kawhi Leonard and sure enough, you know, out of nowhere, the trade and signing it really became the biggest part of the free agency just because of how little anyone knew about it. No one expected this to come out, how quiet everyone in that organization was, how quiet Kawhi Leonard is. And so that made like the ultimate shocker right there. Yeah, you know, I would say I'm surprised only because it looked like they fell out of, you know, they fell out of contention a little bit for Leonard's services. I mean, let's take you back, right? Everybody knew that even when Leonard was on the Spurs, that he, that he preferred to be traded to an L.A. team. He grew up in, I believe, in the California area. I don't want to say he grew up in L.A. because I'm not too sure. But the growing consensus was that Leonard wanted to go home. Home is L.A. Home is California. So right from the beginning, even if the Raptors won the title, which they did, I did not think Leonard was ever going to go back to the Toronto Raptors. He did his job. I think maybe if they didn't win, maybe he'd go back because he'd feel like maybe there's some kind of unfinished business there. But by the Raptors winning the title and winning the finals against the Warriors, that was the cherry on top. I think that was a a mutual, hey, we're parting ways. Thank you for your service, Kawhi. Thank you for bringing us our only championship. We love you. We'll miss you. But take care on your travels. And I consider him done with the Raptors. Now you get the Lakers pushing really hard after him. You know, they have LeBron. They have Anthony Davis. And we'll get to the Lakers more in a second. But the Lakers are pushing really hard to try to create this huge big three. But Nick, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Kawhi doesn't seem like a guy who wants to play on a super team, right? He just led a Raptors team that, you know, a couple of years ago, couldn't even make it out of the East past LeBron James by themselves. You put Kawhi Leonard on his team, and yes, this team is still pretty good. You have Kyle Lowry, you have Marcus Serge Ibaka, but this team is still, none of those other players are on the level of a Kawhi Leonard. Or let's say, you know, you look at the opposite side in the Warriors, they have a KD, a Clay, a Steph Curry. I'm sorry, it's hard to believe that the, those band of Raptors went out there and, and, and beat those Warriors, and yet Kawhi Leonard did that. When Kawhi Leonard was in San Antonio, yes, that was considered a super team. But, you know, Leonard didn't really have a choice in terms of going there, right? He was traded to the Spurs after he was originally drafted by the by the Pacers. So, to me, it doesn't fit the mentality of Kawhi Leonard, who's this hard worker, silent walker, you know, let your play do the talking, to go and join a super team to try and take the easy way out. So, I am not surprised 
that he went to the Clippers when it's all said and done. We all knew he was going to L.A. Um, I will say I'm surprised that the Clippers ever fell out of contention for him, right? You heard some reports saying he's not going to the Clippers. I'm surprised that happened because when it does settle and when it's all said and done, he ended up in the Clippers anyways. So, Nick, the Clippers don't stop there, though. They also decided to re-sign Patrick Beverly, who, which I thought was a great move, gritty player. But on top of that, and this may be the reason why Kawhi ended up choosing the Clippers, they go and trade for Paul George uh, from the Oklahoma City Thunder, in which they trade a boatload of picks over. So, Nick, let me ask you, Paul George signed, what, a four-year deal with OKC? Uh uh, now he has three years left as he comes into this year. Kawhi Leonard just signed a four-year deal with the Clippers. We're looking at a three-year window here. You have Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Pat Beverly. The Clippers still have other good players on their team. Was it worth the risk by the Clippers to trade not just a couple picks, but they really traded a boatload of picks, first-rounders even, to go get Paul George from the Thunder? Is this worth the risk? Yes. It is worth the risk because you have brought in a superstar and Kawhi Leonard. For the last eight years, you have been trying to fight with the Lakers for supremacy in Los Angeles. You are basically going against far more than just that because of the fact that the Los Angeles Rams are a very good team, the Dodgers are a very good team, you're dealing with the Chargers, who are considered a Super Bowl favorite team this year. So not only just on a Lakers standpoint, but an L.A. standpoint, the Clippers cannot fall off. They have been a playoff team for the last eight years or so. They have been a second-round knockout through most of that. But when you add what is considered a top five, top three, top one, uh, best player in the NBA, depending on where you rank each one, you have to get a co-partner for this. And for those three years, the Clippers could be viewed as the best team in the NBA, the top team to win a championship, the top team to add a a third piece. If this year doesn't work, there's always next year type feel to it, but you have to go against what the Lakers have in bringing LeBron James and Anthony Davis and a franchise there and the surrounding environment of L.A. If you don't win, you are basically the forgotten child in this city because of how good teams around you are. So this was entirely worth it, not just because you can't think about, okay, how does this affect us six years from now? You have to think of it as the here and now. We have to make an impact. Yeah, I totally agree. I think this is worth it. I think every team has to look at themselves in the mirror and say, what's the plan? Are we trying to build a team slowly and position ourselves five years later to be a contender, compete you know, later on, build a solid foundation, or do we want to go for it right now? And you know what? There's Either answer is never the wrong answer, Nick, right? You see teams try and rebuild and they, you know, like the Warriors, where they built themselves up, they built a foundation with Curry and Clay, and now they're able just to add people because they have those guys there, those building blocks, even with Draymond Green too, right? But then you have the people who go for it, 
And not just go for it, but they go for it recklessly, right? Let's flash back to the Brooklyn Nets, right? When they had Deron Williams, what did they do? They went out, they go, they got Joe Johnson. They basically gave up their entire future for an aging KG, for an aging Paul Pierce, um, Jason Terry. And then what? That didn't work. And all of a sudden, all their picks ended up going to Boston. And it made Boston a better team going down the road, right? Because the Nets went for it recklessly. But the difference here between the Clippers now and the Nets back then is that the Nets did it for a one, a two-year window. And yes, this is only three years. But you're talking about a three-year window to win a title with arguably one of the best players in the NBA right now with Kawhi Leonard. And definitely, you can argue top five, but definitely, what, top eight, top ten player in the game right now, and Paul George. Not only that, but Pat Beverly, great defender. Lou Williams, He's going to be a 17-time six-man of the year, beating out Ric Flair's record at this point with all the six-man of the year awards he wins. Not only that, Nick, but you have Mo Harkless, Montrez Harrell. Zubak is a great defender as well, too. This Clippers team is loaded defensively. And, you know, good luck put, trying to put up 100 points on this team when you're facing that starting five, and then they're that deep on their bench as well, too. This team is a really solid defensive team who has also two of the best offensive players in Leonard and Paul George. Not only, you know, you made a good point about battling for supremacy in L.A., not just in the NBA, but in other sports too. But honestly, it's all about going for it, but also going for it when you have a plan, right? Brooklyn went for it, even though they only had that one-year window, and it cost them. Look how long it took them to get back to being a relevant team. It was just until last year. That was about five or six years of them being in the tank and not being able to own any of their draft picks. Totally different now here with the Clippers, because why? You traded for, you know, not traded for, but you got two of the best guys in the NBA right now, plus a long enough window to try and make it work. So if it doesn't happen in 2019-2020, guess what? They'll be right back there in 2020-2021 battling again, because that's how good team is going to be so a great job all around in my opinion for the Clippers moving on now to the other LA team the Los Angeles Lakers they missed out on Kawhi Leonard in the end they did trade for AD they traded a boatload for Anthony Davis at one point there was only three guys on their roster and LeBron James Anthony Davis and Kyle Kuzma they waited a long time Nick because they wanted Kawhi Leonard they were confident they were going to get Kawhi Leonard. They missed out on free agents like J.J. Redick. They missed out on a bunch of guys, and they didn't end up with Kawhi Leonard. So let's talk about them missing out first, Nick. was uh, Did the Lakers hurt themselves by holding out hope for Leonard signing with them? At the end of the day, not really. They've still completely changed their team around. You go ahead and add pieces like Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, Danny Green who didn't have a great finals, but is also still a very good shooter. And you keep guys like Kyle Kuzman on the team. Uh, it's going to be a much different style of play for the Lakers, but I'm not going to say, you know, they've lost out entirely because they didn't get Kawhi Leonard. Uh, at the end of the day, they still wound up with, you know, still a superstar talent. Uh, it's still a top-level talent if DeMarcus Cousins is healthy. And, they just uh, the way that the Lakers are going to play has to revolve around LeBron James at the end of the day, no matter what. Uh, Kawhi Leonard does change the aspect of how that would play around, but at the end of the day, it's still 
a very good team. They're still one of the top five teams probably in the NBA right now. So this is where we're going to disagree here, Nick, because I do like that the Lakers got Anthony Davis. I also like what the Pelicans got for him, but that's a discussion for a later time. I think the Lakers did the right thing for what they needed to do, right? They need to get a second superstar in there. They needed to guarantee one. They couldn't leave it to the chance of free agency of somebody wanting to come to the Lakers. They went out there. They traded for AD. He is now yours. I like that they kept Kuzma. Um, don't get me wrong. I think Lonzo and, and Ingram are and Josh Hart are good young players that may still thrive out in New Orleans. But for right now, Kyle Kuzma is the guy who has his stuff together, can play at a really good NBA level, and they were able to keep him. However, is AD and LeBron a playoff team? For sure. With the Warriors, and we'll get to them in a second, not having that monstar squad anymore with the rest of the league having about two superstars per team is lebron and ad a title contender threat yes i do think so if they would have gotten Kawhi leonard i'm telling you this team was an automatic finals winner there's nobody stopping ad lebron and Kawhi leonard so what they did was they held out hope and they hoped that he would sign however lebron's championship winning teams when lebron's is at his best it's because he has shooters on his team Kyle Kuzma is a shooter, but you had a chance to have a guy like J.J. Redick on your team. You let him walk. You could have part, you could have brought in a good defensive point guard in Pat Beverly. You didn't let you didn't sign him either. There was a lot of good role players that the Lakers could have signed to make their team even better than revolving just around AD and LeBron James. And yes, like you said, the, the team has to revolve around LeBron anyways, and I get that, but. LeBron James' best championship teams is when he had great role players. Look at the Miami Heat team. It wasn't just LeBron, Wade, and Bosh. It was guys like Shane Battier, Mike Miller, Mario Chalmers, you know, guys like that that helped make this team unstoppable. The Lakers don't have that. Besides Anthony Davis, who, by the way, people seem to forget, gets hurt every single year. You have an aging LeBron James. You saw him get hurt for the first time last year, and yes, he took a significant amount of time off, so maybe that'll help him this season. But we don't know what age 37 LeBron is going to be. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes out there and looks like the LeBron of old, but we still need to have a slight little worry because he is getting older. On top of that, they miss Kawhi, They miss out on Kawhi Leonard, and they say, okay, time to just give anybody money because we only have three guys in our team. They give 30 mil to Danny Green. 30 mil? That's an insane amount of money. Nobody wanted to touch DeMarcus Cousins, which I thought was dumb. And they go out and they touch the guy that nobody wanted. They bring back Rajon Rondo. They bring back JaVale McGee. At that point, to me, the Lakers felt like they were just grabbing at straws here. You could have built a really good, solid role-playing team around LeBron and AD. And instead, you got greedy. You tried to go after Kawhi. It didn't work. And now you have to be left. You know, you're left with the scraps of the rest of the NBA free agency. Don't get me wrong. I think the Lakers are still a good team. I think they're a playoff team. I think this is a team that can still contend for the finals. However, there's better players out there than, let's say, Troy Daniels giving Danny Green 30 mil. I understand you have to spend a good portion of your cap space, but they were just spending recklessly once Kawhi said he was not going there. So because you seem to be fine with Kawhi Leonard not being there, Nick, my question is, were the rest of the Lakers' moves panic moves in your mind? No, they would have finished the roster out. So they traded half their team to get Anthony Davis. They still had a complete roster at the end of the day. You can't start 
an NBA game with only four players. You had to, you had to sign guys like Cousin. You had to sign guys like Danny Green. And we saw the Lakers do the same thing last year. Uh, Magic Johnson might have been more the uh, in front of the wheel for this one, but uh, as far as last year goes. But we saw the Lakers do the exact same thing: overpay guys on one-year contracts. In this scenario, they're overpaying guys on what two-year contracts. They're they're not destroying, you know, and locking up players for long, long-term deals. The only ones really locked up long-term, guys like Anthony Davis, that will probably get matched out, and LeBron James. So, no, at the end of the day, it's certainly a harder hit on the salary cap, but that's what you expect when you add a guy like Anthony Davis. They had to they had to fill out a roster at the end of the day. That's that's all these moves were. You know, you can't always sign every big fish in the pond. You do have to fill out the team with these role players, with, you know, the other guys that can still start and produce in the lineup every night. Uh, that's exactly what the Lakers went out and got. Yeah, I mean, but to me, that's what makes it panic moves, right? Because you need to fill out the rest of the roster. At that point, you're like, oh, crap, all the better free agents already signed elsewhere. Okay, who wants to be a Laker? And yeah, people are going to jump at that. People are definitely going to say, yeah, to play on the same team as LeBron and AD. But when you waited so long to try and get Kawhi Leonard that you ended up in signing guys that nobody else wanted, that to me uh, raises some red flags when it's all said and done. But you and I always tend to disagree every so often anyways. I don't think um, DeMarcus Cousins is that like, you know, the NBA is on like a witch hunt of DeMarcus Cousins, and I hate using oh, this term. that I totally agree I, on. I You saw me post on Facebook numerous times. I, I can't believe that there is no market for DeMarcus Cousins. I understand that he's coming off an injury, right? And, and he didn't play so well for the Warriors. But to me, he played good enough that he should be getting a contract, at least a team trying to take a flyer on him, no? It's like what's the worst thing at the end of the day? You know, if he comes back and he doesn't really play for you and he only gives you a couple games, you didn't spend that much million. You're not talking about having to lock him up five years, a hundred million dollars plus. This is just a small contract that you could be doing for what's considered one of still the best centers in the league. Yes, he's not what the game is changing to, but he is still. A, a center that can hit threes at the end of the day. He's, the idea that, oh, I, would, I wouldn't I would take DeMarcus Cousins over Marcusall or Brooke Lopez or, or half the other centers in this league. Yeah, he's not going to play you a full 40 minutes, but you certainly can get the job done with him. Danny Green, he may have took his time, but so did Twilight Leonard. DeMarcus Cousins did. And it almost feels like a lot of times players that make it a deep run in the playoffs take their time. Kevin Durant's another example. He didn't even do anything. He just sit on the sidelines for his free agency. So a lot of these guys, yeah, playoff experience in Danny Green, playoff experience in DeMarcus Cousins, a possible star in Cousins if he could ever return to his true form. There's a lot of open opportunities for this team. They're going to have a lot of success. And the key to this team, on top of that, is going to be health at the end of the day. LeBron James needs to be healthy. Anthony Davis has to stay on the court for a full season. And DeMarcus Cousins just has to try and survive a year. That's it. If the three of them are healthy, 
you've got a top team, and we've seen LeBron James lead far worse to championships. Just because he led far worse doesn't mean he needs to. So still shame on the Lakers for not doing their best to put a better team around them. But with all that being said, Nick, who is the better team in L.A. right now? Uh, you know, the better team right now, I'll probably just say, is the Lakers. And there's not really much of a difference between the two. And you could say the Clippers. There, There's so much equal teams in this race right now. I, I'm going to give the edge to the best player in the league, LeBron James. That That's really all this is. You know, LeBron James is still the best player in the league by far. And then it's like Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard to be second and third, wherever you want to flip-flop. But the, the disparity in one to two is still tremendous. And that's all it has to be. To me, there's no I in team, as you know, and we've seen LeBron lead teams by himself and then fall flat in the end. I'm giving this to the best team, and that's the LA Clippers. Not only do they have one of the top three players, as you would say, right, in Kawhi Leonard, but you have, again, arguably, you can make a case for a top five in Paul George, if not definitely top eight, top ten. They have two guys within the top ten. And this is an insanely, insanely great defensive team. Pat Beverly, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Mo Harkless, Lou Williams is the sixth man. It just doesn't. It doesn't just stop at let's say a LeBron James. Why? Why is the Lakers going to win? LeBron James. Well, why are the Clippers going to win? Well, because they have Kawhi Leonard. They have Paul George. So to me, the Clippers are just an actual team as opposed to the Lakers, who were like, hey. We need a team. Let's grab whoever else is out there. Oh, my, oh, my. JaVale McGee coming to the bucket. I'm scared now. I'll take the Clippers and Zubak any day over JaVale McGee and the LA Lakers. Don't get me wrong. I still, Like you said, I still think LeBron James is still a king of this league, and it's going to be a long time before anybody dethrones him, whether you're Kevin Durant or uh, Kawhi Leonard. But if you're asking me who's the better team, it's still LA Clippers. Like I said, this is a great defensive team. You'll be lucky if you score more than 90 points on them on any given night. Moving on now to KD. And Nick, you know I was a very happy man over the past month. I don't care what anybody wants to say injury-wise. I am on an emotional high with KD coming to Brooklyn. Yes, not just Kevin Durant, but you throw in Kyrie Irving. And why not? Let's throw in DeAndre Jordan as well too, right? He needs a job. But the big news here is that Brooklyn lands Kevin Durant. Are you surprised at all about the decision for KD to come to Brooklyn here, Nick, despite despite the heavy interest of the Warriors and, let's say, the Knicks? But let's talk about—we'll get to Knicks in it later on in the show. But for Brooklyn, is it surprising that they landed Kevin Durant? Uh, you know, for, for Brooklyn, it wasn't about landing Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant didn't care where he was going. He didn't care if it was going to be Brooklyn, if it was going to be New York, the New York Knicks, if it was going to be some other team. Kevin Durant wanted to play with Kyrie Irving, and that was it. Uh, most people expected it to, uh, Kevin Durant to go to Brooklyn and Kyrie Irving to go to Brooklyn, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, was I v- surprised about it? No, because we almost, it, it just seemed like, okay, the next step. 
We knew Kyrie Irving had signed with the Brooklyn Nets. It was just a matter of time before Kevin Durant was going to do the same. And it it practically happened, I think, in the same day. Uh, So that was all it was. It was whoever, wherever Kyrie Irving wants to go, that's where Kevin Durant was going. See, to me, I'm very surprised. I mean, I'm not surprised that him and Kyrie ended up together. I'm not surprised that KD teamed up with someone else um, because at this point, it's a two-superstar league. you got to have at least two stars on your team if you want to compete, if you want to have a chance against anybody else in this league. Um, But for them to come to Brooklyn, I mean, you're talking about a team that was down in the dumps for about five to six years because they made that horrendous trade with the Boston Celtics years ago. Um, Their future... You know, was in the toilet. You know, they didn't have a lot of good players in their team. It wasn't until last year that they made the playoffs, and they were still about a 500 basketball team. And, and you heard me. I, they they're not, they weren't a great team last year, but they weren't a bad team either. The Nets have a lot of role players on their team, guys like Joe Harris, you know, guy like Karis LeVert, who are signed to cheap deals. And in my opinion, to me, all it was going to take is that one guy to say, hey. They might have something good going on in here in Brooklyn. I'm going to take a chance and go there. And for the Nets, not only did they get one guy to do that, they got two guys in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. I think every Nets fan is very happy. Every Brooklyn fan is very happy. I think this is a real um, page turner in the history of the Brooklyn Nets, in my opinion. Um, and I think you're really seeing a new age of basketball here in New York. Um with Kevin Durant coming to Brooklyn, it's going to make things very, very interesting. But to me, my question is, does it feel like a serious move? And you said it yourself, KD didn't matter that it was Brooklyn. KD was going to go anywhere that Kyrie does. But from a KD standpoint, though, does it feel like a serious move at all, considering that Brooklyn didn't even have a meeting with Kevin Durant? Like I was telling you while we were off the air, GM Sean Mark said that I didn't find out KD was coming here until I saw it on Instagram. So, when, you know, Usually when you sign a free agent, it's because you met with him, he's bought into the program. KD has gone on record saying that he's a fan of what Brooklyn's been building, about the culture, about the way that they play. But my question is, do you buy that, Nick? Or do you think that's just, hey, Brooklyn's willing to give me the max? I'm going to go to Brooklyn. No, I think he would have got the max anywhere. Um, I think that's a good athlete line to say, you know, I, I like what Brooklyn's been doing. I like what X, Y, and Z has been. But you look at Kevin Durant's path, and it was, you know, who he wanted to play with, what he was playing with. He was playing with Russell Westbrook, switches over to Steph Curry, switches now to Kyrie Irving. So if you want to ask about his commitment, he's committed to the team he plays for. He's committed to the players he plays with. That's no question about it. But if you're expecting this to be, oh, this is the last team he's going to play with, no, because probably when this deal's up, he's going to find somebody else he's going to want to play with. And what point guard does he want to play with next? Or who? what team does he want to join with at that point? So for... Durant, this isn't about, you know, Brooklyn. Uh, Brooklyn doesn't matter. This could have been New York, if Ky- uh, the New York Knits, if Kyrie Irving wanted to play with the New York Knits at that point. And that would have been all it was. If Kyrie wanted to play with the Knits, both of them would be on the Knits right now. If Kyrie wanted to play with Brooklyn, Miami, anywhere. That's all that was the determining factor. So 
in a couple of years from now when Kevin Durant's a free agent, he's going to pit somebody that he's going to be friend with. And a, a lot of us should assume that that's what the free agent route should be. But until now, yeah, he's going to be committed to the Brooklyn. He's going to be committed about getting to the playoffs, about getting healthy this season, coming back for the playoffs, trying to make a playoff push and, and win championships at the end of the day. So let me ask you a question here. This is a question that I, I wasn't originally going to ask you, but since you brought it up, you know, he picks the point guard that he wants to play with. Do you think there's a reason why he chose Kyrie Irving? Uh, I feel like Kyrie Irving is a lot of the exact opposite of Steph Curry. And is a lot of the opposite of Clay Thompson. And that almost became what it was. And you look at it and say, well, Kyrie Irving, he's used to the spotlight. When he started with Cleveland, he was the number one guy. But when LeBron James got there, he became number two. And that's just an easy... And although that was a hard acceptance role, it seems like Kyrie wants his time in Boston. You could see his, his different opinions about it. And I think that's part of the reason he chose Kyrie. This is a guy that he knows when he gets to the team, Kevin Durant's going to be the number one. Kyrie Irving's going to be the number two. That's not going to be a question about it. Kyrie Irving already knows that. You could see by how he's changed throughout his time for that part. And on the flip side for the Warriors, yeah, Kevin Durant was the best player. Yeah, Kevin Durant was the guy that was winning the MVPs. But he was not the face of that team. He was not the number. He wasn't the captain of that type of team. He wasn't the fan favorite of that team. So he he joined a squad in Brooklyn with a top star, and you know clear as day who the number one player is and who the number two is. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Um, but I also find it interesting, though, that you know you can argue that Westbrook was probably the more popular fan favorite in OKC, yet he was still willing to join a Golden State team where he knew that he wasn't going to be the first option. He wasn't you know, the go-to guy on that team, yet he still went there. Um, so, But I understand what you're saying. I think he went more to Golden State to at least get that title off his chest, to get that monkey off his back. But now that he has a title, or and he has two titles under his belt, um, you know, I think he's more inclined to do what's best for him in terms of, you know, from his, his mar- you know, marketing himself and wanting to be the number one option. So it makes sense. Uh, from a Brooklyn standpoint, Nick, um, were the Nets smart to give KD the max deal? despite them possibly losing a year of KD? Because we all know he's probably going to miss the entire season. I don't expect him to play this year. I don't see Brooklyn rushing him back anytime soon, especially if it's an ACL injury. Uh, Another team in New York, we won't mention them by name. We all know who they are. Didn't want to give KD the max because of the injury. So my question for you is, if you're the Brooklyn Nets, and GM Sean Marks said that he asked everybody in the room who's comfortable with giving him a max deal – Everybody's hand was raised in the room, he said. Would your hand have been raised as well? Yeah. At the end of the day, it's still one of the top three players in the lead, and you bet on it than against it. And that's exactly how it should be. You look at it and say, I'm going to bet with this, and if I get burned, we get burned, but we put it all in. 
our our fan base knows we put this all in and we all are going to accept it at the end of the day because no Brooklyn Nets fan is saying it. Oh no, we got Kevin Durant and we're paying him X amount of money this first year because he can't play with us. No one's saying that. No team should look at it and ever be like, this is what we got burned on. Because this is a top talent that you just are waiting for a year from now. Yeah, to me, Nick, there's a difference between um, there's a difference between making a terrible move involving trading picks and trading players away, especially in the NBA, than signing a guy and having him not pan out, right? For the Nets, when they made that trade with the Boston Celtics and they traded away all those picks, that's a terrible move, right? Because it didn't work, and then their future was in the toilet. Now, let's say if KD does come back, and he's not the same player, did it cost you any young studs? Yeah, it may have cost you D'Angelo Russell, but did it cost you five years' worth of first-round picks? No, it costs you money, and money can always be replaced when that contract is up, when that cap space becomes available again. But at least you still have the future to point to. You still have your younger players. So to me, for Brooklyn, this should be a no-brainer. For any team, it should be a no-brainer. If you're gonna, you know, We're not talking about some random guy off the bench who comes in, tears his ACL, and now who wants to give him a max deal? Obviously, I don't want to, but we're talking about arguably the second-best player the NBA right now. If anybody is going to come back from this injury, it's going to be Kevin Durant. And even if he's not the same Kevin Durant for the next couple of years, is an 85% Kevin Durant, Nick, better than no Kevin Durant? I would think so. I mean, I'd still take a, a 75% healthy Kevin Durant. The Warriors were willing to, even though he was on one leg in the playoffs. So to me, this is one of those things where it's worth the risk. And if you're Brooklyn, you can't really be picky with some of these other free agents because a lot of these free agents aren't really sold on Brooklyn yet, right? There's only a select few players who are willing to come to Brooklyn right now, and that was Kyrie, it was KD, and he didn't necessarily take the max deal because both of them took less money to bring DeAndre Jordan aboard. So let's thank DeAndre Jordan for at least saving us some money that, that we didn't spend on Kevin Durant. But when it's all said and done, I think it's worth the risk. I think if you're a team and you didn't want to risk it for KD, I'm not sure um, you know, what the thought process is beyond that. Uh, last but not least about Brooklyn before we move on, will the Nets be better off, in your opinion, Nick, with Kyrie Irving as opposed to D'Angelo Russell? And, two-part question here, so are they better off with Kyrie than D'Lo? And let's assume that KD misses the entire year. Does Brooklyn make the playoffs with Kyrie Irving at the point? So, yes to both. And, you know, I, I like D'Angelo Russell. I didn't really like the uh, what he did with his cell phone with Nick Young. But he, you look at it and say, how did Brooklyn play last year? And it was like 50% of their plays was like just like ISO ball and mainly D'Angelo Russell having complete ball control. And that's – it was an astonishing number of just how – the team played because of Russell. So the numbers, yeah, are going to be spiked for Russell. And he had a phenomenal year. And he had, you know, his best season of his career. And you expect him to improve on that. But you can actually build an offense around Kyrie Irving. You can actually build a team around Kyrie Irving. You were, you were able to get Kevin Durant through Kyrie Irving. You're not getting these with D'Angelo Russell. And... 
Are they a playoff team? Yeah, they're certainly a playoff team. There's just not enough talent in the Eastern Conference. It is the Butts, the 76ers, Boston, and none of those three, I think, are phenomenal. Uh, when you look at it, you're just saying the Milwaukee Butts are probably the best team in the Eastern Conference only because they didn't lose anybody at the end of the day. So that's all you look at it when you look at Milwaukee. Yeah, to me, it's a yes to both as well, too. And you know me. I love, I absolutely love uh, D'Angelo Russell. Um, But, you know, there are some instances where, you know, Kyrie Irving, at least right now, is the better player. Now, five years from now, we might be saying something different, right? We might be saying D'Angelo Russell is an all-star. But to me, I think a lot of the time, Kyrie Irving and D'Angelo Russell is the same kind of player. Um, But the Nets are in win-now mode, so... I think you really could have gone either way. I think even if you would have kept D'Lo and you would have had him alongside KD, I think that works too. But I think the fact that KD wanted to choose his point guard here, um, if it meant getting Kevin Durant, then yeah, the Nets are better off with Kyrie Irving. I'm still a little hesitant on Kyrie Irving because of how things went down in Boston, especially with the younger squad over there, how they had championship expectations and it didn't, couldn't, you know, they didn't get anything done over there. So now he comes to Brooklyn with a young team. I wonder what the difference is going to be between here and Brooklyn as opposed to when he was in Boston. So very interesting to see how that plays out. And do they make the playoffs? Yeah, I think so. Don't get me wrong. I think a lot of Eastern teams got better, but I think there still is a very weak amount of teams in the Eastern Conference. Right now, without KD, who's better than Brooklyn right now? I would say the Raptors are still a good team even without Kawhi Leonard. I think they're. I put them a little bit above Brooklyn, especially if there's no KD. I think Milwaukee, obviously, is a clear threat still. I think Boston's still a good uh, good team, even without KD, uh, even without Kyrie Irving. Um, I thought you know getting Kemba Walker was a nice uh, addition for them. Uh, so there's not that uh, – Philadelphia is another one. I think there's a lot of good teams that are still better than Brooklyn with no KD, but there's still a lot of teams that just aren't good enough to overthrow, um, to overthrow Brooklyn while KD is missing. So when it's all said and done, I think Brooklyn still makes the playoffs. Let's move on now to the Boston Celtics as they revamp after an interesting offseason. So Kyrie leaves. Obviously, he's a Brooklyn net now. They traded Terry Rozier to the Charlotte Hornets, which was interesting, right? Because Rozier basically said, I'm not a backup. So if we knew Kyrie was leaving, we all assume maybe Rozier would get the bulk of the playing time at point guard. Nope, the Celtics move on from him too. And then Al Horford, who could have opted in for a very expensive final year on his contract, decides to leave and join the rival Philadelphia 76ers. So with Kyrie leaving, and then Horford leaving, and then Rozier in the clubhouse making a lot of noise saying how this team is extremely selfish, I know I played my best during the playoffs. In all of this, Nick, did Boston's image take a hit? Of course it took a hit. This has been just a terrible PR for Boston uh, as far as Celtics go. You know, will the team take a hit? I don't know about that. You know, this was supposed to be an epic free agency year for them. They were supposed to add some primetime stars. They were supposed to add some of the top players. Uh, They were looking at Anthony Davis or Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant as a possibility. They had Tyree Irving to begin with. So there there was so much talent around the the talks for Boston and they wind up with Kemba Walker 
as their prime piece. But as far as will Boston be fine with that, 100%. Boston's few best years recently with Brad Stevens, it's been a small point guard, a very small point guard. Timberwater is exactly that. If you look at the year like Isaiah Thomas, and this was when Boston was really good, or when you know Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward went down, and they relied on Terry Rozier. Again, small point guards. The Celtics were good at that point. Do I think they're improved with just Kyrie Irving gone? Well, the numbers show that they were better off without Kyrie Irving on the court and on the team. And so then they add a piece like Kemba Walker. So in my eyes, the team has improved. It hasn't improved to the point where it's greatly improved to superstar-ness, but you know, Boston still is one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, and the fact that the Eastern Conference hasn't gotten better, it's gotten worse, impressively, uh, just gives them even more of a chance. So you touched upon Kemba Walker here. They do bring him in. However, after that, the most significant signing that they made was for Ennis Cantor. So did Boston do enough in free agency by adding Kemba Walker and then someone like Ennis Cantor? On a fan standpoint, no. No, they certainly didn't do enough. The fans should be expecting you know, everything and then some. On a team standpoint, this has been Boston's go-to mindset. You know, small point guard. We added that. We're not getting rid of our draft picks for trades. They're not doing it. We're not trading our top young talent in trades. So they wanted to keep the same core around them. They wanted to add a smaller point guard and fill out that piece that was missing with Kyrie Irving gone. Uh, So... On a fan standpoint, Boston certainly did not hit when it comes to free agency. As far as a team standpoint, do I buy that this was the free agency game plan? This might have been plan B, but plan B is still a very good team at the end of the day and good enough to make a serious push in the playoffs. If this was plan B, Nick, please sign me up for it because I'm a fan of what Boston did in free agency. Um Kyrie Irving, some will say he's a cancer to the team. I feel like that's a strong word. But as you said, the Celtics were better when Kyrie was on the floor. Okay, so he's gone. Terry Rozier, another guy who, eh, I mean, I I don't want to say he wasn't liked in the clubhouse because we're not there. We don't know that, right? But Rozier was very animated when it came to to the cameras, and he had a lot of comments to say when he was talking about the lack of hustle and the lack of self, you know, the team being selfish, he's gone. You bring in somebody like Kemba Walker. Is Kemba Walker selfish? No, not at all. This is a guy that was willing to take less money in Charlotte so they can build a team around him, and Charlotte didn't want to. But Kemba Walker gets paid. I feel like he deserves it. This is a good point guard, a good player. Boston is not going to be disappointed with a player like Kemba Walker, right? He's athletic. He can get the ball down court. He's a good passer. To me, this was a good move. And on top of all this, Nick, I feel like the one thing that everybody forgets is that, yeah, they lost Horford. They lost Kyrie Irving. 
But do you know who the Celtics still have and didn't really factor in last year? Gordon Hayward. They have this guy signed into a big-time contract, and I feel like he wasn't able to play as much because the Celtics had so many pieces. Now, getting rid of Irving, getting rid of Rozier, leaves an opening now, a legit opening for Gordon Hayward. I like the idea of the tandem of Kemba Walker, Gordon Hayward. You still have Jalen Brown. You still have Jason Tatum, right? They didn't trade him to go get AD, thankfully. And to me, those four guys alone are pretty damn good. And then you throw in a guy like Ennis Cantor, who is not a slouch either. He's a good, serviceable center, especially on the offensive part of the, the court. Defensive, not one of the greatest centers. But you're going to tell me that Kemba Walker and Gordon Hayward doesn't intrigue you? I think Hayward still has plenty to give. So at the end of the day, it may have been plan B, but I think it was a good plan for the Boston Celtics. And I think one of the things we forget about because it's Boston, is their coach Brad Stevens. You know, he's considered, and I consider him one of the best coaches in the league. He had a very bad year, but that, that's going to happen occasionally. Not every coach is going to win the championship. Not every coach is going to have it, like, you know, a hand per, uh, perfect, like, you know, Kerr, for example. But, you know, great Pavlovich. We don't hear about superstars playing with him. And the last one we heard, got traded away to Toronto in Kawhi Leonard. There was almost like a core mentality, and that, that's the best way to put it, was between like Tim Duncan and these other guys. But you're not hearing like superstars that want to play in San Antonio and be coached by Greg Popovich. It just doesn't work sometimes. There are some coaches that are better off coaching players that aren't that type of superstar mentality. And that might be the same case for Brad Stevens. Tyree Irving's on the team, and there's just a mess going on. And then you, you see the same kind of feel almost with Isaiah Thomas the year he left. What did they do? Add Temple Walker. A small town stool for college, even though Utah's very good. Utah made a tremendous run in, in the NCAA tournament the year for Temple Walker. There's just, you know, smaller town schools are, are basically aligning themselves with this team and, and small market player idea mindset. So I think that as a whole can work for Boston at the end of the day. It may, again, I don't think it was the free agent game plan for the Celtics, but on paper, this is still a very good team. Moving on now to one of their rivals in Philadelphia. They lose Jimmy Butler in free agency. However, they add former Celtic Al Horford. They get Josh Richardson in a sign-and-trade deal with Jimmy Butler from Miami. They also bring back Tobias Harris. Um, They still have Joel Embiid. And they also extend Ben Simmons to a max deal, Nick, which I thought was very surprising. Do you like Philly's chances next season? And does Philly become a favorite now in the East, considering that Boston... They lose some pieces here. We expect Milwaukee to be the top team. Toronto doesn't have Kawhi anymore. So do you like Philly's chances next season, and where do you rank them now that they re-added Tobias Harris and bring in a guy like Al Horford? You know, I like their chances because of just the talent they have around them and the talent that's not there in the Eastern Conference. But this is not a great team. It's, it's a very large team, 
and it's going to be interesting to see how players have a total different role change. Simmons is still going to be a point guard, obviously, but Tobias Harris is more majority a power forward, and how is he going to go against a small forward? Al Horford has been a center for years, and although he doesn't have the size, he makes up for that with his quickness and his ability of just overall playing. Now he's going to go and play against guys that are faster than him on a consistent basis. That's going to be more challenging. So as far as like how this team looks, this team looks like the same as last year. Oh, there's so many big names around this team. They just won't be able to lose. Well, you're going to run into these team chemistry moments that aren't there. The fact that this is a non-jump shooting team in a jump shooting league is a huge deficit to them. And I think that's going to hurt them more than anything. They're a top three team in the Eastern Conference. As far as where I put them, yeah, they're in the top ten as far as the NBA is concerned. But I'm not putting them anywhere near my top five. They don't have any jump shooters. Yeah, I mean, you read the jokes online. Everybody's saying, wow, Ben Simmons got out of that money for a guy who can't shoot. But are they wrong? I mean, Ben Simmons has not been the best shooter. Um, you know, this is a team that's very, uh, you know, they're not quick afoot, basically. Like you said, speed is going to be lacking on this team going forward. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they play together as well, too, right? Because, I mean, even when Jimmy Butler was there, they still did pretty good. So I feel like there is some hope for Philadelphia when it's all said and done. I think this is going to be one of my must-watch teams. Only because I want to see how these group of guys get together and how they play when it's all said and done. I'm not a fan of the Al Horford signing. I do like that it puts him back at the power forward spot. I do not like Al Horford as a center uh, because I feel like against most centers, he gets mismatched, right? He's not going to grab those rebounds. There are a lot of the centers in the NBA are better than him. However, like you said, he's going to power forward now. There's a lot of power forwards that are better than Al Horford. For instance, Joe Kick, he's 10 times faster than Al Horford at the power forward position. So, who knows how that's going to shape out for Al Horford when it's all said and done. In the East, I think they're the second best team behind Milwaukee. Because, again, I think Toronto takes a step back. I think Boston took a step back, even though I still like their team. Obviously, Brooklyn with no KD, I don't put them in the top three yet. So I think by default, Philadelphia is the second best team in the East behind the Milwaukee Bucks. But if we combine the conferences, I don't know if they're even top five. Nick, I know you said you might have them in your top five. But I can make a lot of other arguments for some Western teams that are probably better than the Philadelphia 76ers, at least on paper. Moving on now to former Philadelphia 76er Jimmy Butler. I just want to briefly touch upon uh, Jimmy here, Nick. He chooses to sign with Miami Heat. Now, I can understand if you know the Miami Heat were building a contender around Butler. However, the Miami Heat did trade Hassan Whiteside to the Portland Trailblazers, so when it's all said and done, there's no other real pieces here, at least in my opinion, for Jimmy Butler to work with. Was it a questionable decision for Butler to choose Miami? Yeah. You know, you spend it in Miami. It's pretty good on money-wise. Pretty good on, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear there's a nice beach. Yeah, and for Jimmy Butler, who's played his career, what? Minnesota? Chicago? Philadelphia, 
Yeah, maybe I want to spend a couple of years in Miami. <laughs> Man, just didn't want to wear a coat, huh? Is that what it is? <laughs> well, at the end of the day, Miami's going to pay on the money. Why not go? Yeah, and, and I do think that Miami has a chance to do something special, right? Because Goran Dragic is still a good point guard, in my opinion. Yes, they were trying to trade him to Dallas, but even if you keep Dragic, that's a good combo. I like the kids they just drafted, Tyler Hero. I think he could be a really good asset going forward too, right? Um, but to me, it's strange, right? And I feel like someone told me this, and it's like it's kind of just like Jimmy just wanted his own team. Okay, well, now you got your own team. But, I mean, Nick, Miami was almost, right? They didn't make the playoffs last year. They were a borderline eight seed, even with Butler. Aren't they still borderline eight seed? Pretty much. I mean, when you look at the Eastern Conference, you go into, like, who made the playoffs last year. There's going to be a few teams that are improved just on the sense of that. But Miami was right on the cusp. And on that part, Detroit, Brooklyn, obviously Brooklyn made a much larger step forward. But overall, like, you know, there's not many teams. There's probably like nine or ten teams that are, have a playoff possibility in the, in the Eastern Conference. And I'm being generous by saying nine or ten. I, it, the end of, well, you're saying nine or ten because eight of them have to come from the East. Right. So there's, what, two teams that may be... Eight games under 500, but only a game back for the eighth spot. So th- there's always a possibility. You add one of the best players in the Eastern Conference to your team, you're going to put yourself in chances to win games. That That's all it is for Miami right now. You, you can add to Jimmy Butler, but right now you have a starting piece, and that's the first step. Yeah, to me... Like you said, this is a first step, but I don't know what their next step will be. It's a head-scratcher all around, um, in my opinion. Uh, we're going to talk about the Thunder now. They trade Russell Westbrook to the Houston Rockets. Um, huge, huge, huge shocker, in my opinion, at least. Um, I didn't feel like Russell Westbrook would ever wear a uniform that didn't say Oklahoma City on it. So that, to me, is a little bit strange to see him in a different uniform. Let's finally talk about the Thunder here. They trade Paul George for a bunch of first-round draft picks. They trade Russell Westbrook for a bunch of draft picks as well, too, plus Chris Paul. Nick, are the Thunder in good shape here sitting on all these draft picks? No. A lot of this Coming from a man who loves the draft picks, you're saying no. No. Interesting. How many times do you hit on draft picks in the NBA? Well, when you have 15 of them, I think you can hit on at least some, no? No. <laughs> no, at the end of the day, how much have we been talking about Boston and their arsenal and arsenal of draft picks? How many actual players do we talk about from their drafts? Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart. Where'd they get him? In the top. Tatum was what, top three? Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown, okay. Again, two of these guys I don't even view as that. You know, they're they're decent starting average role players. Smart and Brown. You know, they're they're good enough to get the job done, but they're not going to be you know the superstar talent. It's we we make a big deal about the NBA draft picks. Look, they mean nothing. 
the this year's NBA draft class was phenomenal. You want to know why it was phenomenal? Three guys. The first three guys in the draft. That was it. After that, who cares? Who did the Lakers wind up with four? Doesn't matter. He could be as, as equally as effective as the 60th pick of Isaiah Thomas a couple of years back. There, there is no guarantees after that. You have, you have a couple of hits, and that's about it. With the Thunder sold off their entire team, they're probably still going to be a bottom-feeding team this year, even if they have Chris Paul and you know the chance for him to own the team if he wants by how much they're paying him. Their only rebuilding part is going to be each year they have the Thunder first-round pick, and they wind up with a, hopefully a top-five draft pick. That's their rebuilding part. But if you're going to tell me the Clippers pick is going to be their rebuilding, no, it's not. Maybe you get lucky and you get a role player. Maybe you get lucky and you have a starter. But you're not going to have a star. No stars winding up in that area. So my next question is for you, Dan, is should they and do they move Chris Paul at some point? Uh, should they? Yes. Can they? No. Uh, and for the it's going to cost them draft pits to do so. As long as it doesn't cost the Thunder, the Thunder's own draft pits, it's worth doing. If it's going to cost you two of the Clippers draft pits, sure, screw them. They're not going to be useful anyway. But if it's going to start costing you pits... Not then, a fan of, uh, of the late steals in a draft, huh? How many late steals can we really name? <laughs> in serious. You have more late steals in the second round than we do in the end of the first round. That, that 15 to 30... I, how many names are we picking out of here? Like Kyle Kuzman is the only one I can think of. And that's only probably because he plays for the Lakers. Uh, the second round, we can name a few. I think Jokic was part of the second round. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But that that's, again, like, you know, a guy that shouldn't have ever been that. Like Mo Bamba is, uh, or Bobo, uh, whatever... The guy from Oregon. The, the Nuggets also drafted. The Nuggets did all the steals in the draft. That's it. If you're not on the Nuggets, you're, not on a, you're part of the steals team. But that's, that's about it. There's nothing in the late rounds for this. So, yeah, if you, if you can trade Paul and his $44 million that he's going to be owed three years from now, by all means, go for it. If you can find the sucker for that that's named New York. But... Otherwise, you're stuck with him. I don't know why you chid the trade anyway for Paul. Yeah, my thing is, you know, I don't mind a team sitting on picks. You want to rebuild your future? I feel like that might be a good way to do it. Sure. But when you get a guy like Chris Paul now, that to me is a strange move, right? Because you're not necessarily going to be able to move him right away. Um, So to me, very, very bold for him to take on his contract. I wouldn't have. I know you wouldn't have. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see uh, what exactly do they do with Chris Paul when it's all said and done. Um, so moving on wait, now wait, to wait. the. I got a reversal question for you though. Uh, for Boston, would Boston have been such a great rebuild 
this twit if Brooklyn was a good team. Hmm. You know, so technically, no, right? Because like you said, you don't see a lot of guys come out of that spot um, in the, the late rounds or the first round. But the question is, we also just don't know because there have been some draft classes that have been deeper than others. And I feel like there are some scouting departments that, you know, if they do their homework, they can probably get a steal for it. But, you're, you know, honestly, there's no really way of knowing unless you go out there and you pick the right name out of the hat. So to me, it's all about, you know, it's all it's all about chance here. But I think at that point, if you're the Thunder, you're sitting on so many picks and so many late picks because we're expecting the Clippers to be good, right? So even if the Clippers end up in that range of anywhere from the last pick to maybe like a couple of them before, you know, you can still get some good solid role players to build out your bench there. I know that's not what that's you know it's not what people want to hear. They don't want to hear about picking bench players, but I do think that you can make it work anywhere from those draft ranges. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> if I can do it in two K, I think I can do it in real life. Okay, Nick. Uh, anyways, moving on now to the Houston aspect of the trade. There's a lot to process when it comes to Russell Westbrook becoming a rocket. I still can't believe it when it's all said and done. But my main question is, and I think the question is for a lot of people, Nick, is does it work? Does him and James Harden on the same team, yes, it worked in the Thunder, but that's because at that point Harden was a six-man. We're talking about James Harden, a guy who's an established MVP. So is Russell Westbrook. Two guys who love to have the basketball in their hand, but... I don't know if the Houston Rockets realize there's only one basketball. Does this work? Harden and Westbrook. That's what we're on on this? I missed a few of the uh, last parts on this. Can you repeat the question for me? Oh, sorry. Harden and Westbrook on the same team. Yes, it was okay back in OKC back in the day. Because Harden was a six-man. But at this point, where they're both established MVPs, does both of them on the same team work? No. They're both ball-centric, 100%. I I don't know how this is going to work. You've got a guy like in Westbrook that needs the ball around him the entire time. You have a guy in Harden that needs the ball around him in the entire time. The only hope that this is going to work and this is a best-case scenario, is you're telling Harden, look, for a lot of the regular season, it's going to be Westbrook that handles the ball, controls the game, has the ball more often. We need you, Harden, to just be ready for the playoffs and to have stamina for that. Because when the playoffs come... You gotta have the ball. We're gonna change our entire offense, throw off half the team, and we'll see how the best thing that goes now that you'll be, you know, not tired. No, it's not gonna work out. It's it's gonna be you know, it, it's it's gonna work well, it's gonna be entertaining, it's gonna be fun to watch two of the the last couple MVPs on the team, but yeah, as far as, like, is this team going to win championships? No. 
No, it's it's not. It's just going to be a fun team to watch in January. It's going to be the must-see team in the regular season. Or the must-see players in the regular season. They'll be great to watch in December. Great to be watching in January, February. But when, you know, the playoffs come around, who's, who's going to care? They'll be out in the first or second round. And there's not even that many good teams at this point. So to me, Nick, this can go one or two ways. This can work and be amazing and watch two guys play alongside each other and be poetry in motion. But I give that about a 20% chance. I think there's an 80% chance this is a total debacle. You can't tell me, at least right now, and and maybe they can do it. Maybe they'll prove everybody wrong. But you can't tell me that Mike D'Antoni, of all people, is going to solve the mystery of can we get Harden and Westbrook to share a basketball? Because to me, Chris Paul is a good point guard who could distribute the basketball amongst his teammates. Yet James Harden couldn't work alongside Chris Paul. And yeah, they didn't have any personal beef, so they say. But if you couldn't make it work with Chris Paul, what makes you think it's going to work with Russell Westbrook? A guy who loves to have the ball in his hand. To me, there was a reason why KD wanted out of OKC, and I feel like it's because of Russell Westbrook. Whether it's stat padding or him just not trusting his teammates, I think there's a reason why guys don't necessarily want to play alongside Russell Westbrook, and I'm not sure that that's going to be solved all of a sudden with playing alongside James Harden. However, I can also see this going in the complete opposite direction of two ball hogs that finally trust each other, saying, hey, you know what? Maybe I don't feel like I have to do it all by myself now because I have the other guy on my team, the other MVP, the other stat patter, and maybe it works. But I think it's a very, very big long shot there that this works when it's all said and done. Moving on now to the other New York team and the New York Knicks. They came up empty in free agency. James Dolan did not want to offer KD the max. They didn't sign Kyrie Irving. They didn't trade for Anthony Davis. They did did draft R.J. Barrett. That's a good move. But wait for it, Nick. Just wait for it. The Knicks went out there, and they signed Julius Randle, Taj Gibson, Reggie Bullock. And I know you love this one because this is like the biggest signing of it all, right? Bobby Portis. Knicks fans got to love that, right? How bad is this for New York? Um, you have the worst case scenario, but I, I seem to replace mine. Uh, like, this is awful. This is this is exactly why the Nets didn't. fans were, should have been worried when Porzingis was getting traded, because you had your best player, and you traded him away on the risk that this is all going to work out in free agency when we sign everybody. And you wind up with Julius Randle, and Julius Randle is good and all, and I like him. I think he's a talented player, and it's great that he's only on a three-year deal, and he's probably the longest tendered player from the free agent market that they went with, but, you know, what in the world is going on with the Nets? That's the best way to put it. There's nothing good to be said. They didn't want to give Kevin Durant a max deal because you were so good before the idea of having Kevin Durant that this was not worth the risk. It, it, it's a joke. They, they want to be 
the dumbest franchise in the NBA at times. And when they're not, they want to be hold my beer guy. I can do it better. And this is basically it. We're going to do nothing in free agency. We're going to twiddle our thumbs. We're going to miss it on the draft. We're going to have what could have been the best expectations for Knicks fans for a year of buildup to this. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, there's no other way to put it. And you know what's funny is that I do feel like the Knicks got a lot of decent players, right? Julius Randle is a good player. You can agree with that, right? Todd yeah. Gibson is a good role player, right? I don't like Bobby Portis that much, but Reggie Bullock, good role player. And and the one good thing about the Knicks is that they did sign a lot of these guys to two-year deals. A lot of them are team options, so they can easily opt out on a lot of this. And they still have young guys like Kevin Knox. They bring in R.J. Barrett. So the Knicks aren't in terrible shape. Do I think they're a playoff team? No. But when you trade Przingis and they created those two max slots, fans got excited. Why? Because that was your opportunity to sign someone like Kevin Durant. And you know what? If the Knicks give Kevin Durant the max offer, he's a Nick. He's not a Brooklyn Net. This wasn't a struggling choice of his to be like, oh, do I want to be a Nick or a Brooklyn Net? I love the Nets. You know I do, Nick. But if you're a player like Kevin Durant, of course you're going to choose the Knicks. But the Knicks didn't offer him the max. And that's why he ended up choosing Brooklyn. I mean, it's just like, it's not rocket science here. If you're the Knicks, you play in New York. You play in the world's famous arena. I make fun of fans for saying that that's the biggest sell to people. But honestly, it kind of is. And the truth is, if you would have just offered KD to Max, he would be a New York Knick right now. And tell me, a New York beat having KD with RJ Barrett and Kevin Knox and Dennis Smith Jr. sounds a lot better than having him with Reggie Bullock, Bobby Portis, Taj Gibson. So I want to tell fans, hey, don't be so mad because you brought in guys like Julius Randle. But at the same time, you should be mad because when you're expecting big names like Kevin Durant and then what you get are these guys, yeah, you're going to be angry. And I feel like, you know, if anybody should have taken a chance on Kevin Durant, it should have been the Knicks. Because so what if he misses one year? You get him back. And like I said with Brooklyn, the reason why it's worth the risk is because it's only costing you money. A bad contract is easier to forget than trading a bunch of picks away and ruining your future in terms of trading, you know, five first round picks in the process and having you be the worst team and then not being able to pick those potential stars in the first round. So just a giant mess for the Knicks. Before we get to a recap of this podcast, Nick, we're going to talk about the Warriors, which many would say the Warriors dynasty is over. I'm not so sure I'm ready to say that just yet, but the Warriors lose the finals to the Raptors. They lost in five games, I believe. Didn't even make it to six, which was strange to me to see them go down in such a few amount of games. Um, KD and Clay injuries were a big storyline for the Warriors in this one. Fast forward to free agency now, though. They lose KD, but they are able to bring back Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson expected to miss a lot of the year with his knee injury, of course. Which player in your mind, Nick, was more important to bring back? Clay? Or KD? Did they make the right call bringing back Klay Thompson and not bringing back Kevin Durant? Yeah, I, they were never going to be able to bring back Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant did not want to sign with the Warriors. That's just how it was. Was it the right call to bring back Clay? 
he's needed for the team. He's one of the best defensive players. He's perfect fit for the team when it comes to shooting. Uh, he's a great offensive piece. We, we saw how much you know the Warriors struggled to just only have Steph Curry as their offensive weapon. So they needed other pieces along that line, adding D'Angelo Russell and uh, bringing back Clay Thompson certainly should bring a lot of offense to the team. Uh, you know, overall, it's the, the same core three have been playing with each other practically their entire careers. So it, it's a good fit to just keep what it is, keep the style of play the same, because that's just been your winning go-to function. And why change that? Yeah, to me, when you look at it, if you say... If they lose KD, this team can still win. You still have Steph Curry. You still have Klay Thompson. This team was built off of the Splash Brothers. They won a championship without KD. With this formula before, they can definitely do it again. You lose Klay, like you said. You lose one of the best defensive players on the team, aside from Draymond Green. And then what? We don't know what the dynamic is with Steph and Kevin Durant. I think Steph and Klay work 10 times better than Steph and KD. So definitely the right move, in my opinion, to bring Clay back, um, especially when there was rumors that he may be interested in going to the Lakers or back to an L.A. team. I think it was a very, very smart move to lock him up. Even if he misses most of next year, you're still getting a great player for the four more years after that. So this was a no-brainer to bring Clay Thompson back. What's interesting to me is that they lose out on KD, obviously, but they do a sign-and-trade deal, basically, for D'Angelo Russell, the former net who is now expected to play shooting guard in Clay's absence. So now that they bring in D'Lo, Nick, how do you think that will work in Golden State? Is that a good combo of Steph Curry and D'Angelo Russell in the meantime? And when Clay comes back, do you see them keeping D'Angelo Russell? Yeah, I think this is going to work out pretty well. Clay uh, Thompson's you know, a tall shooting guard at the end of the day. He can play small forward. I, I th- think that's what you'll see the Warriors do. Uh, that round four, I don't think you're going to see them looking to trade Russell. Yeah, to me, it's interesting because obviously it's not going to be an issue while Clay is gone, right? Because Steph's going to play uh, point guard and, and D'Lo will play shooting guard and then the rest will fill itself out. And even, and Clay Thompson has played a bunch of small forward anyways before. You've seen him do it in the playoffs when he guards LeBron. So I'm not worried about that. What I am worried about, though, And like you said, a lot of Brooklyn's plays ran through Russell. D'Angelo Russell is a guy who thrives off the iso ball. Is this a guy that's going to be okay with just the catch-and-shoot plays? Because Steph's going to have the ball nine times out of ten. He's going to distribute the ball throughout the offense. Is D'Angelo Russell going to be okay with not having the ball 90% of the time in his hands? It's going to be very, very interesting to see how those two play together in terms of Steph and D'Lo. And then on top of that, you add in Clay too. It's going to be very, very interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if they only use Russell for the entire first year and then maybe trade him after Clay comes back into the mix going into the following season. But I also wouldn't be surprised if they hold on to him too because, after all, D'Lo fits that game plan of the Warriors, right? Shooting the basketball, a team of shooters. Their strength is their backcourt. So adding another shooter to this team only makes them stronger, in my opinion. So all in all, a good move for the Warriors. However, they do lose Andre Iguodala. They lose Quinn Cook. They do add Willie Cauley-Stein 
And a lot of people are ready to give up on the Warriors now that KD is gone and all these other people are gone too. But Nick, should the Warriors still be looked at as contenders next year? Yeah, they should be looked at as contenders. Sure. Are they looked at as favorites? No. Uh, do I do I buy that they they could make a deep run into the playoffs if Clay Thompson is healthy, if all things go right, and this team is able to get back into playing as a full team? Sure, they they have all the potential of doing so. You know, they're not a bad payout at uh, I think it's plus fourteen hundred right now. They they have the same odds I think as the Utah Jazz. And I'd rather take the Warriors than the Utah Jazz, and I like the Jazz. Uh, so, you know, they're not a bad payout as far as Vegas is concerned, if that's what they're going on. Uh, but am I am I calling them to say they're going to be in the finals this year? No, I'm not. But they have a shot. There's, there's no, like, number – there's no Warriors – this year, there's no team that represents the Warriors. This year is just the standalone best team in the NBA, no question about it. This team's going to be there no matter what. There's no team that resembles that. Yeah, to me, this team. I don't understand why people don't think they're going to be around. This team is going to be around. I think they're far from over. Um, I think this team is a legit contender. Um, do I think they're a favorite for the finals like they used to be? Probably not. I feel like they, you know, they, st- yeah, but do I think they're still going to be there in the end? Probably. I could still see them be, you know, going up against the Clippers. I could see them going up against the Lakers uh, when it's all said and done. And, you know, this is still a team that still has a great coach. They're a team that still has most of their roster intact. They're missing one guy and they added a shooter. And honestly, one underrated move of theirs is adding Willie Cauley sign. I mean, when's the last time the Warriors had a legit center? I mean, probably not since Andrew Bogut was healthy and doing his thing back in the day. So I feel like adding Cauley-Stein is going to be a huge, huge plus for the Warriors going forward. A lot of people may not think so, but I think having a true center for a full year, not like last year where they only had Cousins for a couple months because he was still rehabbing, they have a a real, legit center in Cauley-Stein who could play some good defense and grab those rebounds, I think to me is a huge plus as well too. So I think the Warriors aren't going anywhere. And I think if you think they are, you're being pretty silly. So let's wrap up the podcast now with the post-free agency mindset. Which team or two did you think had the best offseason here, Nick? Uh, the best offseason, I'll, I'll give it the Clippers as one and the Nets as another. You know, when you're adding two superstars to your team – you're going to have the best free agency. That, that's just how I'll look at it. Yeah, I'm going to go Golden State Warriors. I mean, you're talking about a team who just lost the finals. Everybody's saying the dynasty's over. You lose Kevin Durant. And what do you do? You're able to retain Klay Thompson. You now have enough money probably to try and work out a deal with Draymond Green at some point. And on top of that, you bring in a guy like D'Angelo Russell, who's a great shooter, who only adds to this team, in my opinion. And then I like Willie Cauley-Stein, too. The other team that I had thought had a good offseason was the New Orleans Pelicans. Yes, shocking, the Pelicans. But they draft Zion. That's a no-brainer. They get a huge haul for Anthony Davis. And I like the idea of Lonzo playing alongside Zion. I like them taking a chance on Brandon Ingram. I like Josh Hart a lot. They signed J.J. Redick, who's a good veteran presence on a young team. 
But also, to me, the Pelicans, with the eighth pick in the draft, they drafted Jackson Hayes from Texas, the center. And I feel like that's going to be a huge deal for them. I really like that kid a lot. I think he's going to show a lot of promise. And again, they may not make the playoffs this year. But I do think the Pelicans could be a legit threat for that eight seed when it's all said and done. A young team like this being built around an athlete and a megastar like Zion Williamson, to me, the future is very, very bright in New Orleans. So very quickly here, Nick, who is the team to beat in the East as of right now? Nobody. <laughs> who cares where the team to beat is in the East? They're all terrible. Um, Milwaukee. And Milwaukee is probably the best team in the Eastern Conference still. They have the best player in the Eastern Conference, which Giannis. Um, they're, they're coming off a year where you know, they fell short in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, from there, a lot of teams we see always need that experience. Is a good build-up. And that's about it. There's, Milwaukee's probably the best team in the Eastern Conference this entire year. Yeah, I'm going to go with Milwaukee, too, only because there was really no turnover there, right? I mean, they didn't, I mean, they brought back Chris Middleton, which is a good first step for them. They have the reigning MVP. I think Atetokounmpo only has room to grow, right? And that's scary to think that he can only get better from here. Um, I think some teams in the East took a step back. The Nets are not going to have KD yet, so to me, the Bucks are still better than the Nets, even if it's just Kyrie. Um, I think the Bucks are still better than the Celtics, unless Gordon Hayward steps it up. Um, this coming season, uh, we we you know we said how we feel about Philadelphia. So to me, and you know, and the Raptors take a step back because they don't have Kawhi anymore. So to me, you know, it's a no-brainer that the Bucks should be the team to come out of the East and challenge them. Um, whoever comes out of the West. So on the more complicated side, who is the team to beat right now in the West? So I'm going to take the team that's not getting enough talk. Uh, the team to beat in the West is the Denver Nuggets. Shocker. <laughs> uh, you know, you look and say, okay, yes, there's the Clippers. Yes, there's the Lakers. And yes, they're going to have the entire regular season to try and get it together. But for the Nuggets, they're going to be already adding a lot of young talent to this team. They didn't make as far as a run to the playoffs as I thought they were. This is still one of the youngest teams in the NBA by far. They have one of the best underrated players in Jokic. So I'm going to take the Nuggets. This is a team that finished second in the regular season last year, only to the Warriors, and had what the, what, the third best record in the entire NBA all of last year. Uh, you know, they, they finished as one of the best teams. They're, they're probably one of the most well-rounded teams as of right now in the Western Conference. They're one of the few teams that doesn't have an entire switch to them that has to get it together early. And Denver is very good at home. I think this is a team that could have the number one record in the Western Conference and actually make a deep run into the playoffs just by home court alone. A little bit of extra experience, uh, playoff experience for the young kids. Yeah, I could see where you're going with that, but you know, all those reasons you listed was a reason was one of the reasons why they were the favorites this year, and they couldn't get it done. So until I see the Nuggets get it done, I just can't sit there and believe it. 
I'm going to go with the L.A. Clippers. And I'm sorry if that's an easy choice or a cop-out. But when it's all said and done, I can't get over how good defensively this team is going to be. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, two of the best defensive players in the NBA. You add a gritty point guard like Pat Beverly. Mo Harkless is a good defensive player. And, of course, Lou Williams is sitting there on the bench, too, waiting to come out and be another six-man of the year, a 16-time six-man of the year at the, when it's all said and done, in my opinion. Um, so I'm going to go Clippers in the West. Sorry if that's a cop-out. But, again, I find it very hard for any team to put up 100 points on this team with how good defensively they're going to be. And they have Doc Rivers at the helm, who's not a, a, a slob of a head coach. So it's way too early, Nick, but pick your favorite right now for the finals. Uh, so I'll take Milwaukee versus uh, the Lakers. I'll say the Lakers just squeaked by Denver. <laughs> I'm going to go with Milwaukee as well, only because, again, I think they're the clear-cut favorite in the East. And I'm going to take the pick that I made. I'm going to say the Clippers. And I wouldn't be surprised if Kawhi wins back-to-back titles here uh, when it's all said and done. So with that, that concludes our podcast. We're going to round out the show now, of course, with Beard Back as we take a look back in sports history. Nick, what do you have for us today with Beard Back? All right. So basically one of the best I thought I could find was in 1923, Walter Johnson becomes the first to strike out 3,000. He would get to a little bit over 3,500 in his career. Uh, Greg Maddox in 1997 throws a complete game. Why am I saying that? Well, he did it in 76 pitches. Uh, For those that are trying to do the math in their heads, uh, that's just over eight pitches an inning. It's, It's, you know, eight pitches is all it took per inning to throw a complete game. That I, I felt was you know pretty impressive in and of itself, and that's about it we got. Uh, the only other ones that I thought was mildly entertaining was in 1994. O.J. Simpson pleads absolutely 100% not guilty of murder. My man, and then writes a book about <laughs> if he did it, how he would do it. Ah oh, man, what a time to be alive. And with that, we always have Dude and Dunce of the Week. Nick, who is your Dude of the Week? All right, so our Dude of the Week, uh, we're just going to take the Angels overall. Uh, July 12th, Angels won 13-0, throwing a team no-hitter on Tyler Sad's night uh, after he had passed away on July, I believe, July 1st. it was going to be pretty much his birthday was coming up this year, uh, this month as well. And just overall, we've seen baseball at times have these tragic moments of losses. And the Angels, you know, in celebrating the life of their teammate, went out and had an extremely great night putting up you know, a phenomenal game. You could feel the emotion for the entire team. A uh, seven-run first inning to start, and you knew the it was going to be the Angels' night from there, but you didn't know how special of a night it was going to be uh, as the game prolonged, and you get the full no-hitter from uh, the Angels as a team. So for that, it just, you know, we haven't done the show in, in a while, and I'm going a little bit far back, but there's not a more memorable game or night uh, recent to date for me. Totally agree on that. 
uh, Nick. Also, for the dunce of the week, I'm going to give it to Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, you know, recently, I, Baker Mayfield was the favorite for making his comments about how Cleveland will embrace uh, Odell Beckham Jr., unlike New York, um, which I thought was silly and a really dumb comment. But, of course, Odell took the lead again for dunce of the week because he started saying how he felt disrespected by the trade when the Giants got rid of him, saying he was the reason why the Giants were relevant. Now, I may be wrong here, Nick, but I think there's another guy named Saquon Barkley, and he was the reason why the Giants were relevant last year. And Odell Beckham claims he's the only reason why people were watching the Giants. I find that really hard to believe, because every time I watched the game, Nick, what did I see? Constant drop passes. I saw him getting into fights with inanimate objects on the sidelines. And honestly... When it's all said and done, I'm kind of glad this trade happened because it's revealing Odell Beckham's true colors for the diva that he really is. And honestly, every Giants fan has already moved on. They coped with you being traded. They were upset. And now we moved on and we're ready for the next thing. And yet you're still talking about New York a couple weeks before training camp starts. Um, You know what? I really hope things go smoothly in Cleveland because if they don't, Cleveland, you have one giant diva on your hand in Odell Beckham Jr., You're my dunce of the week. And with that, we're going to go into our final thoughts now here. Nick, you have anything you want to say that's on your mind before you round out the podcast? Yeah, so, you know, we haven't done the podcast in a little while, but in our previous podcast, uh, I had mentioned about the Rockies, and that was going to be a make-or-break moment uh, between all the games that they had played. Well, going 3-15 and pretty much for the entire month of July has been their breaking point. Uh, Instead of having a shot, getting swept in a four-game series to the Giants, a three-game series to the Diamondbacks, teams that you can't be losing to. They've exactly got blown out by, and they're pretty much eliminating themselves from the playoffs. Don't be surprised if you don't see anything for the trade deadline until the very last minute of the 31st. So many teams are in it still. It's part of the two teams that play off, and it's a matter of do you want to sell or do you want to buy there's too much time left to tell uh, in these nine, these seven days where you know one team can just lose all seven and they're just the seller. But this is going to be that make or break moment for a lot of teams, whether they buy or sell, and they're going to need a push to do so. Just going like four and four in these last nine days or so before the trade deadline is not going to get it done for any team to either buy heavily or sell at that point. I can't believe you're telling me there's a team that's been worse than the Mets. Uh, before I give my final thoughts here, Nick, Mets, do you move Syndergaard or do you hold on to him? you got to move Wheeler. And I think at this point it's not the worst move if you consider trading Noah Syndergaard, if you can get the right pieces back for him. Oh, so, if the price is right, you move him. I don't... I wouldn't be surprised if the Mets try and do this where they go full out and sell. But the problem with going to full out and sell mode is... You know, you've admitted you made all the wrong moves this year. You're not the team you were, and you were totally wrong. Which they were, but, you know, that could be a different conversation for a different day. My final thoughts is it's been a while since we did the podcast, so the U.S. women's national team won the World Cup for the women's division. Um, Great team, great moment. Uh, So congratulations to all the ladies out there who participated on that team and were able to bring home the gold. And also, you know, touching on the the gender pay gap, especially when it comes to, to soccer between the men's and women's, the men's the men's team does not win us anything at all. Pay the women. They deserve it, okay? Um, 
And if you don't think so, you should really take a look at your moral compass when it's all said and done as well, too. So that was episode 54 54 for you. Approaching 60. Man, we're, you know, sooner or later it's going to be 100 here, Nick. But that was episode 54. Thank you so much for listening. Just want to remind you, you can catch our, our show on the SND podcast channel where you can catch many other podcasts. There's a lot of good content on there, a lot of good shows. There's a wrestling show. I mean, there's just everything for everybody. There's no excuse for you not to check out the SND podcast channel. So when you're listening to our show, make sure you check out the other shows on that channel as well. So thank you so much for listening today. Once again, I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And I'm the Sarasso. And thank you so much for listening to Sarasso and the Beard podcast, episode 54.